0: This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colagard. Learn more at exactsciences.com.
1: Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Mad Splainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. On today's show, we've got a whole crew of Cap Times reporters here to talk about this week's cover, which looks at some key questions about next week's election. With me, virtually, our city and county government reporter and Mad Splainer's co host, Abigail Becker investigative reporter Caitlin Farrell, and politics reporter Brianna Riley. Thank you all for being here.
0: Hi. Hi, Natalie.
1: So let's start with you, Abby. You've been looking into the finer details of the voting process here in Madison and Dane County. What do voters who haven't yet cast their ballots need to know? Yeah,
0: great question. So, for voters who still have an absentee ballot and haven't yet turned it in, it's recommended that those voters um, do so either via, you know, a drop box, which are um, you know scattered around Madison, um, or to take it to their clerk's office, um, or on election day, take it to their polling place in person. Um, so, those are probably the best uh, ways to turn in their absentee ballot if voters haven't done so yet. Um, and for voters who are planning to uh, to vote in person, they should uh, you know check on the clerk 's website for where their polling locations are. Some may have changed from previous elections, so just make sure to look that up so you know where you're going. Um, And also, I think it's good to to let voters know that the clerk's office is taking steps to make sure that voters can um, vote in a safe way, you know, given the pandemic and health concerns because of it. So um, there's going to be plexiglass barriers to divide, um, you know, uh, between poll workers and voters, and there's going to be lots of hand sanitizer. Uh, Poll workers will be wearing masks, and it's encouraged that voters do as well.
1: And I know some voters have worried about whether their ballots will be received in time and whether they'll meet all the criteria needed to be counted. How can voters check the status of their ballots?
0: Yeah, so voters can check um, a website called myvote.wi.gov to track the status of their absentee ballot. So, um, you know, from when they request it to when they, you know, turn it back in either, you know, via uh, in person at the clerk's office or in the mail, Um, they will be able to track sort of the progress of when um, it gets to the various places that it needs to go. And then, you know, a while after the election, the website will also be able to show um, that the the voters ballot, you know, was certified and officially counted. But that does take some time. So voters shouldn't expect to see that, you know, right away after election day. Got it. Okay.
1: And Uh, We'll all be watching as the votes get tallied next Tuesday, but we've also heard that the high number of absentee ballots could slow the counting. In Madison and Dane County, when can we expect to know who won?
0: Yeah, so this is a really key thing for voters in Wisconsin to be aware of. You know, given the influx of absentee ballots, it's likely, you know, unofficial statewide results here won't be known, Um, on November 3rd. So uh, you got to be patient. Um, There's there's a lot going on here. However, in Madison and Dane County, you know, it's a bit different than in places like Milwaukee, which uses something called a central count system where all the absentee ballots are counted um, in a centrally located facility. Um, In Madison and Dane County, poll workers are allowed to start counting those absentee ballots when polls open on election day. So when polls are open at seven, lots of poll workers will be, you know, opening those absentee ballots, unfolding them, you know, sliding them through the machine um, and making sure that they're all counted. So, you know, Dane County Clerk Scott McDonald told me that he expects a late night with tabulating and reporting finished around 2 or 3 a.m., you know, but smaller polling locations throughout Dane County could have resulted in before midnight. Um, Now, City Clerk Mary Beth Witzel-Bell said that she does not expect a late reporting in Madison uh, and noted that each polling location will have a team of workers who's Again, we're going to start processing those absentee ballots beginning at 7 a.m. And so while, you know, it may seem daunting, you know, she said to count hundreds of thousands of absentee ballots, those are going to be dispersed across 92 polling locations and lots and lots of poll workers. So um, if you're in Madison looking at results, it may not be as late of a night.
1: Got it. So this is they're still having to count all of them on Election Day. Uh, They can't get a head start like folks in some other states can do.
0: That's correct. Here locally, those absentee ballots will start being counted when polls open. Got it. Okay.
1: Now, traditionally, lots of the people who volunteer to work at the polls are older, and they're the same people who might be at heightened risk of coronavirus complications. So there's been some concern that we won't have enough poll workers. But how's Madison doing on that front?
0: Yeah, so while there was concern, you know, in April and in August um, about you know sh- poll worker shortages here in Madison, Madison actually you know had six thousand people register to be a poll worker. So um, kudos to Madison, very civically engaged. There are six thousand people signed up to work the polls on election day. That's double the number than in previous presidential elections. So um, the city clerk has told me that you know they feel very good with that number and that you know not only do they have enough people for, again, the influx of absentee ballots, um, but also to help people who are voting in person. And then also backups, you know, in case people do get sick on Election Day or feel concerned about, you know, working that day. So Madison is doing well in terms of poll workers.
1: Wow. Okay. And you talked to several first time poll workers, people who are signing up now for the first time. Uh, What are you hearing about why they decided to do it?
0: Yeah, so a lot of people talk to me about wanting to, you know, feel engaged and connected on election day and, you know, feel like they're a part of this civic process. Some others, you know, said that they really want to be involved in such a historic election um and not sort of take a back seat. Um and and more broadly, a lot of people sort of expressed to me, you know, this this feeling that because of, um, you know, how polarized things are politically right now and because of this, you know, global pandemic that is really isolating, people feel, as, as one person said, I think, you know, just kind of adrift in all of this, right? They may not be seeing their friends or their families often, and there's just a lot of scary things happening. And so I think people wanted a way to feel like they were doing something and feel connected. Um, and so that's sort of what prompted, you know, a lot of people to sign up to be a poll worker.
1: Excellent. Abby, thank you so much. Caitlin, I'd like to turn to you. You looked at the major party presidential candidates' approaches to advertising in Wisconsin, which is, of course, a key swing state. What kinds of differences did you see in their strategies?
2: Sure. So um, as we've seen nationally in Wisconsin as well, we have seen Biden uh, spending more typically um, across all forms of advertising, although depending at on the time frame that we're looking at, the Trump campaign has also, I guess, is behind, but not super far behind. And so, you know, the thing that I really looked at in my reporting of this this year is there's a lot, um, I'm sure people notice that there's a lot more ads and pop-up ads when it comes to uh, the different websites that they're on and social media platforms. And so we're seeing a lot of growth and more spending across those platforms, more than we have seen in 2016. But we are still seeing a lot of emphasis on legacy ads, both mail um, mailers that are sent to people 's homes and also TV ads and so we 've seen as far as TV ads are concerned, the Trump campaign has pulled some ad some TV ads in Wisconsin specifically over the last few weeks, um, and Biden has spent more on that here. but you know we 've also seen more parity when it comes to spending from both campaigns on Facebook specifically. Facebook ads alone in Wisconsin accounted for 3.5 million in spending from Biden and 3.3 million from Trump and that's from April 5th through October 17th. And so one thing that kind of surprised me as far as really looking at this just was how popular and effective according to the campaigns they really found TV ads and mailers to still be when it comes to trying to reach voters. I think Like I think we're going to discuss in a little bit, micro-targeting is still a really heavily relied upon approach. And I think it's much easier for campaigns to test the efficacy of that micro-targeting when it comes to mailers, particularly, rather than pop-up ads across the digital space. Got it. And
1: why would it be if legacy media advertisements can be so effective? Why is Trump spending less in Wisconsin?
2: Well, the various analysts and um, folks tracking this that I have spoke to really chalk it up to just the Republicans' lag in fundraising. The um, Democrats have out-fundraised Republicans across the country this cycle and continue to sort of slash records for that. One note that a conservative strategist said to me when it comes to how Trump is operating in the state is... Although he may not have as much money as Biden does at this point, he is still strategically trying to reach voters in a different way than Democratic ones are as far as still canvassing. So Trump has field offices here and a robust door knocking campaign, such one that would exist even if a pandemic was not going on, whereas Biden does not have a in-person Uh, field office presence in the state and so though the trump campaign has lagged just doesn't have as much money as biden does this cycle folks tracking this on the right have said that he has shown that wisconsin really continues to be a big priority because he's coming to the state so frequently he's come to the state more than biden has and so you know they would argue that 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 presence those in-person events are much more powerful than 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 a tv ad would be anyway
0: this podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs.
1: And as you mentioned, uh, certain platforms like this digital and social media advertising allow campaigns to micro target their ads to specific audiences based on you know, their interests or demographics in a way that they can't with TV ads. How important is that? And how are campaigns using that power?
2: So that's a really important part of ad strategy during political cycles. And it's a, a pretty technical kind of ever-evolving methodology that various firms are are using that continue to get better and more sophisticated, I've been told, with each campaign. So that remains a central part for both sides of the aisle as far as what they're looking to do and always get better at. Um, There's a variety of ways that campaigns get voter data. There's a variety of companies that sell voter lists. And so I think particularly, again, when it comes to mailers, they're able to buy voter lists and from voter registrations that happen in Wisconsin. And then they can send the mailers obviously directly to people's homes. Um, So anyway, all to say it's very important. (laughs) And there's a variety of methods to to continue to improve it, both when it comes to legacy ads, but also more technical ones.
1: And do we know examples of some of the kinds of like, categories they might be separating voters on?
2: Um, they do... Yes, (laughs) Um, they they'll separate voters. I mean, even just looking at where people live. And so, you know, we've talked we've heard a lot about Trump trying to court like suburban housewives so they can look, you know, at like magazine subscriptions, for example, that people have and get data from that so they can look at, you know, they'll try to make predictions about how you're likely to vote based on whether you're male or female, based on where you live in a certain area, whether you live in a downtown urban area or the suburbs whether you're a mom, if you subscribe to a more mom-focused magazine, or you know subscribe to The New Yorker, uh, that sort of gives an indication. And so there's also ways, I think, in which um, even how people spend on certain consumer goods can be data sets that they can track. And so they really source data from a variety of, of, of places and then try to kind of put together a voter profile on you based on... A variety, you know, how you would purchase and where you live that they think would determine how you're going to vote.
1: Got it. So there's a lot of data out there, um, but what don't we know about the ad dollars being spent on this election?
2: So, one thing that's tricky about the way that the process works and that several academics and analysts have talked to me about is just that we can't really see in real time how the ad spending is really affecting voter, um, how 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 these ads and also the degree to which there's disinformation in them and how much money is spent on that disinformation and where the money is coming from until well after the election because of the way that the filings, the FEC's filing and disclosure system works. So they have to disclose expenditures, both campaigns and third parties on a quarterly basis. And so we don't really understand the full scope of what the uh, role of the ads are and the real impact that it's had until well after the election, which makes it kind of difficult to combat or address um, and understand, I guess, all the variety of influences that are going into the election, if that makes sense, in real time. Yes. Yes,
1: definitely. Thank you, Caitlin. And Brianna, I'd like to turn to you. You've been covering how Trump and Biden have campaigned
3: in Wisconsin. How did Trump win
1: here in 2016?
3: Yeah, the the short, simple answer is that President Trump benefited from activating rural voters in Wisconsin and also from depressed turnout in urban areas. A really good example of this is the city of Milwaukee itself. Between 2012 and 2016, um, when you're looking at the sort of turnout for in support of Democratic presidential candidates on the ballot, Hillary Clinton got 39,000 fewer votes in Milwaukee, in the city of Milwaukee than President Obama did during his 2012 re-election. So that would have been more than enough to make up for the 23,000 vote margin that Trump secured to win the state. So that's one of the areas, you know, and this kind of gets into what I'm sure we'll discuss in a second, which is one of the areas that Democrats are watching heavily is what turnout will look like in Milwaukee and the state's other urban areas.
1: And what would need to happen this time around for Trump
3: to pull off a win in Wisconsin? So when we're looking at the map this time around, um, the high population areas remain the same. In past election cycles, Republicans have been able to rely on these three suburban Milwaukee counties called the Wow counties in north north and west of Milwaukee to really deliver a lot of votes for them. Um, Trump saw some slippage there, though, in 2016. But he also that year benefited from having another statewide Republican candidate on the ballot, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, who Sort of because of his presence there, he was sort of able to have a reverse coattail effect on Trump that bolstered his bolstered the president's margins in those suburban Milwaukee counties. So Trump really needs to ensure that he doesn't see as much slippage this time and he's able to stand alone in those counties. The other part of the state that folks are looking at is the Green Bay media market that um, has about 20% of the state's registered voters in that 15-county northeastern Wisconsin area, which is about the size of the Madison media market. So that's another crucial place. It's, It's what people think of as a swing area in the swing state. So keeping an eye on what Trump's margins will be in that area, he won it by 18 points last time. This time, as of Right now, you know, we haven't seen the latest Marquette University law school poll yet. But at this point, um, the the pollster there, Charles Franklin, says it's basically a toss up. So keeping an eye on that will be really important. Trump does need to run up his margins in that area as well to do well statewide. There just aren't enough rural voters to offset a poor performance in the suburbs and in the Fox Valley, especially with, you know, increased Democratic enthusiasm this time around.
1: All right. So. What are you going to be watching for on election night? And when do you think the state will be called?
3: So I was looking back at the Associated Press's calling of the state last year. Um, They didn't call it until 1.30 a.m. Central Time. It will be much later than that, I am sure of it. I I don't know for sure. I was on a panel discussion Monday night and um, we were asked if we would know the results in our respective states by noon on Wednesday. I I truly don't know. I I think it's a possibility that we'll certainly know the following day. I just don't know when exactly, you know, the Associated Press will officially sort of go out and call it. As Abby alluded to earlier, we have a huge influx of absentee ballots, right, like every other state. But we're one of four states in the country that doesn't allow that processing or that counting to begin prior to Election Day. So our poll workers and elections officials are really in a crunch. I mean, they, they can start counting them at 7 a.m. on Election Day. And in Milwaukee, um, and this was a couple of weeks ago, so before we had, you know, the most updated numbers, elections officials there were saying that it would take minimum 18 hours, you know, to go through all of them. And, and that's assuming that, you know no hiccups happen, right? Or anything like that. So it'll be a really long night and poll workers will be pulling all-nighters to try to get get the results in as, as fast as possible. So I, I'm of course looking for all of that. I'm looking at um, different areas of the state as well. The turnout in the urban areas, like I mentioned before, turnout in the Fox Valley, what Trump's margins in the wild counties look like. Also from a legislative perspective, I'm interested in Western Wisconsin. Um, The 3rd Congressional District is interesting. Um, Democrat Ron Kind is running for re-election. He, you know, is likely going to win, but there are some interesting areas that, you know, the 3rd Congressional District in Western Wisconsin, which includes La Crosse, that went for Trump by 4.5 points last time and Kind also won it, but he wasn't facing an opponent. So it'll be really interesting to see what the margins look like in that area. Absolutely. Well, thank you all very much,
1: and best of luck on Election Day. Thanks.
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks,
0: Natalie.
1: Thanks for listening to my conversation with Abigail Becker, Brianna Riley, and Caitlin Farrell. Tune in next week for a conversation about our next cover story. If you enjoyed this podcast... Please subscribe to the Mad Splainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening.